Hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt. Whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain, your feet are carrying the load. Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hey everyone, happy Wednesday and welcome back to another episode of Latitude's In Session Podcast. Joining us on the show today, we have Ryan Glitzke. Ryan is a mountain buck hunter who specializes in rut hunting tactics. He's utilizing his map scouting to find areas with a lot of diversity or areas that are hub systems. He's going into those spots, putting boots on the ground. He's finding all the sign, finding all the travel corridors, and he's dissecting all of that and fine-tuning it down to one specific kill tree for the rut. So I think that there is a ton to take away from the show. I know that after we went out and filmed this episode, I actually went to a couple different states and scouted myself. And what he taught me, what I learned from him, paid dividends in some of these states. I feel very confident about going out there in the rut and being a lot more fine-tuned than I was in the past. So, Ryan, thank you so much for letting us come out and film you. Thank you for doing this podcast today. It was actually my second one I ever recorded, so I was pretty nervous. It's a short and sweet episode, but it is jam-packed full of information. If you guys enjoy this show, please head over to the Latitude YouTube on Friday at 5 p.m. And you can see the video series launch as well, where you can actually get specific map details and a visual of what Ryan's talking about in this episode. So hope you guys enjoyed today's show. Let's get into it. We traveled out to Pennsylvania today and spent a day out in the woods with Ryan and learned how he tackles the big mountains out here and some of these big mountain bucks. It was a, a great day. Learned a ton and I was really excited to be out here. Thanks for coming on, Ryan. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a, it was a good time. That was really cool. Yeah, it was really cool seeing uh, similar terrain to what I hunt, but just a totally different approach. Yeah. And seeing that you're very successful doing that is great. I mean, there's there's so many different tactics that are out there that, you know, different people have and everybody has their own style. And seeing that firsthand today was just so cool. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Um, I want to get right into it. I've got a bunch of topics that we kind of covered okay. throughout the day. You know, yeah. we filmed a lot of this, but I just want to have it in a podcast form as well. So let's dive right into it. Let's dive into a little bit of e-scouting and how you're actually finding these spots. So there's millions of acres of public land around here. And for you to dial that into a specific spot must take quite a bit of time and learning and a whole process that you have. So what's that process look like? I mean, it, it, I think we all start with e-scouting. It's all year. Um, I'm on there probably roughly every day for a few minutes looking at new areas. Um, but it basically all starts there. I've been doing it long enough where you kind of pick up on certain things on your maps that, that that's interesting. For me, cover edge that transition that really pops out on your aerial maps um, of course your terrain features on your topo um, i like the layover of your aerial and your topo um, so you can kind of break it down all at one time but i'm looking for me personally especially in the big woods uh, the clear cuts are really important i'm not necessarily going to hunt right in a clear cut but that's a focal point i'm going to mark that on that map 
for a point of interest. I'm going to go to that spot when I'm out boots on the ground, and that's where I'm going to start my day, then work off of that. Yep. So the clear cuts make a lot of sense to me. That's something yeah. that I target as well for early season. You know, I'm looking at them from a different eye, if you will. I'm looking at them and trying to dissect the specific beds in yep. there and then how they're traveling to and from food sources. And you have a totally different approach. So when you find a clear cut on a map, what's going through your head? What are you trying to gather from that information? A lot of it to start, what, how are they utilizing the clear cut? Is that clear cut seven, eight, nine, ten years old, or is it a year old? That's going to tell me a lot what the deer are doing. Are they just coming in there at night to feed on it? Or are they starting to bed on it, used for security cover? That's what I get engaged in my first thing I go in there, is go in there, see the age of the cut. Those three to five-year-old cuts where they're starting to get into it, they got the brows. They got the cover, security cover. Those are sweet. You, you can find those. Then a lot of times I'll walk the edges of those cuts. I'm looking for the entry and exit trails they're using to come in and out of there. Starting to read the sign. A lot of times in those areas, you'll find pinpoint a location they prefer. And a lot of times that's when I'll start working off of the cut to a possible stand location. And one thing with the cuts too is sometimes I'll work off those and I'll find a different habitat, maybe Mount Laurel, some you know Greenbrier, something out that literally leads me into a whole nother area. But, I've, but it started from working off of that cut. So when you're looking at a cut like that, depending on the age class and how it sets up, regardless of the age, are you still using that cut for a transition line? Do you see that they're using it, you know, whether it's one year or 15 years old? It, yeah, usually after about the, it seems about year two, three, you start really seeing the sign working on that transition edge. Pressure kind of dictates that though. Sometimes the clear cuts, is a, it can be a focal point for a lot of hunters, depending where they're at. So you got to kind of read that a little bit. So sometimes you work at work at transition, you'll start seeing that sign, but sometimes you'll find that sign in an area, maybe where that's not where the hunting pressure is. That's a thing that I'll key in a lot and work off of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And I kind of see the same thing. Now, today we were out there scouting and we got into that area with the cuts. Yeah. We were looking at the transition lines and it was really interesting how you started using, like you were talking about earlier, different edges. Yeah. Do you want to go into some of those edges? You mentioned mountain lore already. Yeah. Like the spot we were in today, you had that that transition off of that uh, older cut and then not far, you could see 50, 60 yards away, there was a transition of mountain laurel. And then also what was in there, we had a transition, we had two creek systems in there, which causes edge. A transition also, I figured. So you had multiple edges, multiple transitions come to that one spot. That's something I really like to key in on. It either, a lot of times it can either be a terrain type edge or it can be a habitat edge. And that spot there, Dave knows, it was both. Those those spots there are hard to come by. Takes it, I might not find a spot like that every other year possibly, but a spot like that today, when it all lines up, that's the golden ticket right there. Now you're scouting uh, probably a ton of those every year. Yeah. How many, like, let's put a number to that. How many areas like that do you think that you scout every year? They are hard to come by when you're looking at maps because a lot of things have to line up. You got to have, you know, I prefer not one clear cut, multiple clear cuts or multiple cover in around those type, like a hub set. If I'm going to concentrate and dive into a hub system, that's got to have some things lined up for, for it for me to be interested to go in. They're actually very hard to find. I may only have a couple of year I want to check out. And ones that really, I get in there and I feel I can consistently kill a buck, I, have, I can put them all in one hand, basically. Yeah. It, it's hard to find them, the, the really, really good ones. Yeah, and I'll, I'll, I'll do the same thing. I'll pick out a bunch of different hubs or a yeah. bunch of features I like and... Yeah, I'll go in and I might find 5% of those are yeah. actually worth even putting on the list. There's just so much land to cross yeah. off. Yeah, a lot of times once you get in there, like so on the map, e-scouting is one thing. Until you get boots on the ground, you can actually see what the vegetation is, the terrain. 
hunting pressure, how all that lines up. Majority of time, it doesn't work out. You know what I mean? And I said, a lot of times I'll have those spots marked on a map. That's where I'll get in a spot. You know what? I don't see what I want to see. Then I work off of that area. Then I find a little better quality spot a lot of times. That makes a lot of sense. So circling back to that original question about the types of features that you're looking for when you're map scouting, is there anything else besides clear cuts that you're looking for? River or creek systems in general, that is a fantastic starting point for people. If you get into these bottoms and hubs or just low pieces in general on, on like maybe some public land, new, or it, it doesn't even matter if it's public or private, getting in those creek systems and that and walking those out, finding those crossings then working off of those crossings, a lot of times that will start leading into other things. And that's when the other things start lining up in a multiple, you know, like what we talk about, you start getting into a situation where there's multiple things coming together. You work off one, one becomes two, two becomes four. And before you know it, you're in a pretty good system, you know, to kill something. I think that's a great point. And, you know, something that a lot of people talk about is they don't like hunting the bottoms, especially during the rut. Yeah. And you don't feel that way at all. No, I mean, the hub, it depends on how that hub's sets up like that one we were in today you know a north northwest wind even a west wind would probably work it's a fairly sized hub have you seen you know there was you know how it it was kind of open um so the thermals uh, they they can be tricky don't get me wrong but a system like that i feel pretty confident on a steady steady wind day you can get away with a lot and even your thermals you've seen that sun popped out before you know the milkweed's rising you know it was real cold this morning it was dumping down like it was supposed to in the creek system you know so you got to kind of that's where you got a wind map and kind of know an area but i have zero issue hunting low no issue i've killed plenty of deer hunting low i pretty much grew up all my life hunting flood bottoms and bottoms like that you know the wind swirl yeah Um, it's it can be in a perfect situation wind can swirl and and screw you um i think that's why like we've seen the situation we're in today where i had a bunch of things coming together you know I may lose one spot, but I have five other things in my favor right now. I like them odds. Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, you have a dozen trails that converge yeah. right here, and you might be blowing out one of those yeah. trails, and yeah. that's probably not that important during the rut in yeah. the big scheme of things. Yeah. So let's start off with our day and kind of how we got down into that area and scouting. Uh, I'd like to start off with your access. You yeah. know, we got into a hub. The drainage was facing... The creek system, is, I think it runs north north to south. I try to memorize in my head here, pop up my map in my head here. It was running, a lot of the points are dumping down into a central location. The main creek system was running kind of north to south. Um, we come in from the north and worked our way south. And like I said, we worked through an older cut, which I didn't think really had a lot of deer in it in general. Um, that was kind of reason I access. And today we had like a northwest wind and it was kind of blowing out towards some junk timber, I felt. And whatever wind was in there was sucking out of that ball in the south end of that creek system. I think like today was a really, today was, it's almost rut weather today. We had the perfect weather, dropping milkweed. Really, it was really setting up really nice for that spot today and how it's going to play out next year. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And kind of seeing how the thermals played out in there based on the conditions today was really an eye-opener for me as well. I did notice that when we got down to that bottom, you know, we're walking down the main access point that you determined. There, Like you said, there wasn't a lot of sign, but looking at some of the other points in that area, it looked like they had more sign coming off of them as well. Yeah, Yeah, the other points where I feel, I think that's where the buck's going to come from. I'm not going to mess anything up by the access where I'm having it right now. Um, The only problem I could have in there is coming in there. I'm coming from the north. You get a hard north wind. It could be blown into that hub system. You know, I have my opinion with that. You know, when you're going in the morning, first thing in the morning, you know, you're going to blow some deer out. Yeah. Is your wind going to get in the, you know, maybe blow a deer out of that hub, getting in there, the wrong wind, maybe something's swirling. But you're getting in there an hour before daylight, half hour before daylight. You know, he comes cruising through 930, it don't matter. He wasn't in there. You know what I mean? So I kind of play that a little bit. And your access, access, entry and exit is really important to me. 
Um, but sometimes you got to be a little aggressive. You know, if you sit back, sit back, sit back before you know the season's over and you're kind of like, man, I should have, I should have pushed it one day or two days, you know, what do you got to lose? You know, the other thing too, so we get down in the bottom, you know, we access into that spot and then the way that you dumped off the main ridge down into the Creek and then worked down the Creek and then came up that steep part to that tree. That was really interesting to me. I try to follow something similar to that, kind of in a different way. But uh, do you want to just explain why you were going about dumping down in the creek for access and then coming up and almost J-hooking into that tree? Yeah, as you've seen, we were working down an old logging trail. And like I said, didn't really seem to be much deer activity on that trail. But now as we got, we got closer to that hub system, you've seen the activity level pick up on that trail system. That's where I figured, you know what, I don't want any more intrusion further down into that hub. So I was going to dump off that steep ridge, get in the creek system and work that creek system up either in the creek or along the edge. And I was J-hooking basically downwind of that stand. If I was getting a west wind in there, everything thermals in the morning, everything was shooting down to that creek system. So I would J-hook in just like a buck would J-hook into a a bedding area, basically. Same kind of purpose. I'm J-hooking into that stand. And when we got in here, you guys seen where everything, all the all the uh, movement was kind of out in front of that stand, either maybe one or two trails. 90% 90% of it was out from me. So Jay hooking in, there was a pretty good chance they weren't going to pick, they weren't going to pick up my ground scent. And so you mentioned how all the trails were out in front of that tree that you had yeah. selected. When we both got into that system, you know, you looked around, I could see that your eyes got big yeah. and you were excited. And I looked at it and I didn't really see the same thing at first, yeah. just not being a rut hunter, right? Yeah. Like that's yeah. my biggest gap is rut hunting. And so some of the things that you saw immediately were like these very faint trails. Yeah. I, I didn't pick up on those trails. Yeah. So do you want to go into how you've learned to kind of like see those trails and how you've learned to follow them back and read the sign on them and then bring them all to that specific point where you want to kill? Yeah. I mean, you see when we first started in there, the trail, you could kind of see where the leaves were disturbed and I kind of, you can visualize how they're using the terrain. I kind of can just read that. I just been doing it long enough. Maybe that's why I just pick up on some of that stuff. Um, but what I did there was we got down in there, I started kind of backtracking from that focal point. You know, I showed you guys where that scrape line was, the rub line was, and all that, all those faint trails that broke off, it all led to that one point where I picked that one tree. Just in general, I think that just comes down to your type of hunt and my type of hunt are different, but the woodsmanship's all there. And it just, you look at your bedding areas different view that I would, and I look at that at a different view than you. It's just, like I said, that's what you're good at. It's what I'm good at. And that's where certain things, certain individuals are going to hone in on something a little bit more in that situation. Yeah. So some of the things that you were honing in on in those trails were uh, like different age class of rubs yeah. that you thought were from like year to year. Yeah. And then those snapped off twigs, yeah. which we found a lot of. A lot Do you want to elaborate on yeah, those a little bit? Um, I don't find a lot of big rubs, you know, those calf thigh size rubs. I just don't find that. Occasionally I do, and they're great. Um, and that situation there, like I noticed that there was a lot of, there was nothing really big for rubs, nothing you get really excited, but there was a lot of them. But what was in there was a lot of like thumb-sized saplings that just sheared off from last year, years past. That takes a pretty significant buck. Like we said that one, it had to, the tree was up a little bit. That tree was probably an inch, inch and a half round. And he literally sheared it off and you, we found the other piece laying in the back side of it. That's no little buck. And you see multiple years of that. That tells me there's an age class, there's a mature buck age class that are working that hub every year and running through that system. That's kind of what I was reading that sign. That was what it was telling me. And you're kind of taking that a very aggressive, like shear of those branches and saying, okay, this is a mature deer when he's like in a rut situation where his testosterone is high. He's he's worked up a little bit for whatever reason going through there. And I said, if you ever try to take a new limb, green limb, and try to snap it, it's inch and a half plus, or, you know, bigger than your thumb. 
that's pretty tough to do. And I, you know, we've all seen little year and a half, two year olds rub trees and you don't see that, you know, them to take a tree that size and just shred it, snapping in two. And there was quite a few of those in there, you know, in different ages of that, the historical data, that's where that historical data comes in play. And that's what I see a lot of times. It's not so much I find the big rubs, it's the aggression, the aggressive, you know, rubs. You, you know what I mean? And I see that even on the scrapes working the licking branches, I notice also. Yep. So when you, when we were in that system, there was quite a few rubs, those yeah. sheared off branches. There wasn't a ton of scraping activity. No, I think it was maybe three scrapes or we had the scrape line. Yep. Leading into that hub, I think there was like three or four I've had from past uh, data, you know, me scouting in there, I had marked. Um, there was one right there at the stand and a couple satellite scrapes. But would you call big primary community scrape? No, I would not call that that was in that hub. Yep. And that doesn't deter you at all. No, That's- not at all. There's enough other sign. I mean, you know, deer, it, it's hard for them that they can't, you know, they're going to poop. <laughs> There's yep. plenty of that in there. The trails, you can see where the leaves were kicked off. There was a lot active. You can see the multiple trails the droppings, there was a fair enough of rubs in there, you know, even they weren't large, fair enough, but there was a lot of other things going on. And then, and being the fact that that scrape line coming in and there was two or three scrapes there, that's fine. That, that, that tells me everything I need to know. Yeah. So looking at this hub, to me, it's a very macro sized hub. Yeah. You know, like the ones that I see in Ohio that I target are the same ridges that dump down. Like, it's almost like if you just took that and shrunk it down to a, a tenth scale. Yeah. And those, the, the hubs in Ohio are easier to hunt, in my opinion, because all of the trails converge right at that center point, yeah. and then there's normally a good scrape. Yep. So in the hub that we were in today, if I was to look at a map and pick out where I thought the hub would be, like where all the ridges mm-hmm. dumped down, we weren't in that spot. No, no. We were we were in a micro hub. Yeah, we were kind of in, that would be the northeast section of it, actually. The thing that led you to get to that micro hub instead of the main hub was just those creek crossings? Uh, the, it, it'd be a little bit of everything. I mean, the, the, there's two creeks in there in general, forcing some stuff down right there. Um, it's almost like, a, if you look at the mirror, it was almost a peninsula right there. And that scrape line coming into there, and then the transition edge that we saw from that clear cut, and then along with those creek crossings, everything was kind of there. And then I showed you that one trail coming out of that older cut, which really got me excited. That's where we've seen a couple of rubs and they sheared off that, that one branch. But that all kind of, I take all of that on the macro level. And that's when you have to start breaking it down that micro level to pick that tree. And you look at, like I said, it's, that, that, that hub's fairly large. Yeah. You know, a couple hundred yards yeah. really from point to point. You know, like where in the hell are you going to go? That's where you have to start really... Okay, you found it. You kind of get the spidey senses. You get it. That's where you got to take and really gear it down. You got to slow that down. That might take a couple trips in there. Yeah, and that's something that I really need to focus on with my own rut hunting. Yeah. And I realized that today with the success that you have, you know, you're you're really fine-tuning those areas down to that specific spot where, like, that trail you talked about coming out of the bedding. Yeah. I would have probably set up on that, yeah. and I might have sat there for 20 days in a row before that deer came out of there. But what you're saying is... He could come out of here. There's a really good possibility yeah. of that, but there's also another 10 trails that you need to focus on. Yeah, yeah. So. you've seen where that was leading. Yeah. And so was the other 10. All leading that one general area. Now, big bucks will do big bucks. They'll, you know, I got it figured out, and then he's going to skirt somewhere, and like, you will, you know, <laughs> he's going to do something crazy at times. That happens. But I think the percentage-wise, how I'm looking at that hub system, uh, there's a high percentage you're going to get an error in something, hunting it the way I do. Yeah, and that makes a ton of sense. And it reminds me of Bobby Worthington. I've listened yeah, to him quite my, a bit. And- yeah, he's, uh, if I have to say who's the, who I really, you know, look up to and how I've kind of molded my hunting style off of, um, no doubt it'd be him. Yeah, and so I've, 
I've listened to him a lot recently and I've really wanted to take those tactics. And yeah. so to go out there with you today, it was just like the learning curve just got, you know, yeah. completely taken yeah. out of the equation yeah. where you did everything that I was thinking about doing and it just on such a detailed and fine tuned yeah. level. Yeah. And, and like, so we talked today, like I, I had a question that we were talking about this. Somebody asked me, do you hunt a lot? Does all you hunt as a hub system? I said, no, that's a, just a small percentage. Like we, you, you have to take the same mindset and put it in that upper one third of a ridge. Or, you know, or a, another uh, different type of system, another different type of funnel, still take that same mindset uh, of finding it on a macro level, then breaking it down to a micro level. It's all basically the same. It might not be a hub system. It may be, you might be on top of an oak ridge uh, with a big, heavy scrape line, but there might be something up there. Maybe there's an erosion ditch or something coming up there where it's funneling them down. Like you have to all play that all into the same thing in different situations, you know? Yeah. So let's get into that a little bit. So we've talked about the hubs. I got to see that today. The yep. one thing I didn't get to see was any sort of side hill or like top of the ridge hunting that yep. you do. Yeah. There was another spot if we had time to, I would like to talk to you guys too. Um, basically it's surrounded by clear cuts yep. and then they had, I don't know if it was a mistake on their part, but it's good for me. They left a fairly couple acre section, not cut. Um, but what it ended up being was the ridge system comes down, comes out to a plateau and there was a couple points dumping off. Well, there were some old logging roads coming up onto that plateau. Well, they were doing and bucks were running that, um, running that downwind edge of that clear cut for the doe bedding. There was like two, three scrapes in there, tons of rubs. And this is something I think when we first went down to hub system. I like, sometimes I get in some of these spots and like this spot I'm talking about right now, I wish we would have went into, but, uh, it's a nice little plateau, big scrape flat there, a couple little points come there, a lot of stuff coming together. But what was on that, it's kind of, the timber wasn't real open, but a little bit, some briars, but there was a bunch of blowdowns and stuff. There was structure in the spot. It was like fishing for bass. You're fishing structure. It's similar to that when I find some of these spots, like everything's lining up, but there's some trees blown down or some other stuff. And I like that structure. It just, I think when they get into a spot like that, they feel secure. Now, how did you start catching on to that? Because I walked by some of those fallen trees down in that bottom that were like the one that I can think of is where you had that big bowl and then you had a fallen tree and you said, okay, they're going to pinch down yeah. through here. Yeah. But you saw that immediately. How, how have you taught yourself to do that? 31 years in a tree. Yeah. And to be honest with you, that, that's why I said sometimes we can get on these podcasts and show videos, but end of the day, you got to put the boots on the ground. I mean, we beat that dead horse, like a dead horse, but you got to do it and you got to put time in a tree. And as much scouting as you want to do is great, but I'm telling you, the number one thing, I do a lot of all-day sits, and you see a lot of stuff sitting all day. Yeah. A lot of stuff that you would never see with boots on the ground and to, never see on TV or whatever. You actually got to get in that tree sometimes, put some time in that tree, and just actually watch deer do deer stuff. Yeah, so we've talked quite a bit about uh, scouting like the hub or some of these different terrain features yeah. that you like to target. I'd like to get into how you're determining that there's a deer in there that you'd like to chase. So are you running cameras? Are you glassing? Like, what's your process look uh, like? It's hard to glass areas. I, if you've seen that, that's pretty hard to glass. Yeah. Pretty much cameras. Um, I try to run 40 plus cameras. Most of my cameras are going to be on scrapes, uh, either a community primary scrape or like that scrape we saw today, not really a true community scrape, but it's going to see some activity in the rut. Yep. Uh, the other thing I really like is creek crossings. Man, I love creek crossings, man. It, it, or even like a ditch crossing or something like that. You get a spot like that, especially in around cover, like come off those clear cuts, uh, either a really, really tight pinch there or that scrape. That's where my my cameras are going to go. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And so like for what I'm doing, I'm running them basically on the hubs in that system. Yeah. I bounce back and forth between what I want to do. I've, I've ran them on terrain features before and then try to use that annual data for like uh, for more of a rut, yeah. you yeah. know, hunt if I ever get into that situation. And it hasn't 
it hasn't necessarily helped me as much as I was hoping it would. So I think it's a matter of fine tuning the camera areas like you do as well. Yeah. Well, big thing, this is my opinion with the scrapes. You can kill one off scrape yeah. and we've all killed them off scrapes. How I use my cameras, I put them on the scrapes. That's inventory basis. Now, like we said, I had a good setup today where I could actually shoot to that scrape. Yeah. Okay. Um, some situations, yes, I can shoot the scrape and I prefer to, or I'll put a mock scrape in maybe for a shot opportunity. But my scrapes are for inventory purposes. Now, we were in that hub. Now, above that hub, there's a lot of clear cuts. That's where some, a lot of my, actually, probably most of my cameras are going to be in around those systems on scrapes off those clear cuts. That area there, if I go and pull cameras, say, end of summer, beginning of fall, I got four or five shooters on them cameras. Well, you know I'm going to spend a lot of time at hub system because yeah. I'm just looking for opportunity at a good buck. So my idea of my cameras, I'm putting them out, I'm getting inventory. I don't hunt a specific buck one. I just don't do that. So I'm looking for that camera or that area that has three or four shooters in. That for me is going to up my odds because I've got to put so much time in a tree because of the vastness of the area I hunt and the lower you know quality of animals. I've got to put a lot of time in. So my best opportunity is going to be an area that's going to hold multiple shooters. That's kind of how I play all my cameras in with everything. It's not to hunt actually over that camera. It's more for inventory purposes and gain some historical data when that, maybe that area heats up or whatever. Yeah. So you're using a lot of that for that three to five year plan. Yes. That's what the bulk of my cameras are for. That makes sense. Yeah. So we have the kill tree picked out. Mm. We've located multiple deer that you want to chase in there. Yeah. What does your hunt look like? Are you like, what specific dates are you going to start hunting there? And then what's that? Are you hunting it every day based on the right wind? Are you taking a break? Are you cycling between other locations? Are you checking cameras to determine that? Yeah. No, I've never, that's what we're into. I've never hunted. Yeah. So this year, come up, now I'll hang a camera in there, of course, this year. That'll tell me a lot down the road. So the first year it's kind of, it may be a little hit or miss. Cause I'm going on more gut feeling. Um, you know, last week of October, they're going to start moving a little bit. Um, but I think an area like that, they're really going to be cruising hard through there. Once you get into October and deeper in, or excuse me, get in the first part in November. And as it gets later in November, you're going to catch them box cruising between them bedding areas. That's going to be my focal point when I get in there. And I would prefer like today, beautiful day, you know, start out in the twenties, getting up in the forties, 10, 15 mile Northwest wind, West wind. I'm going to go in there on those kind of conditions. And how many days, however many days I get those conditions lined up. And I feel, like I said, I got multiple shooters in that area. I'll hunt it two, three, four, five weeks straight. As long as I can get in there on the right wind and not blow it up totally, I'm going to be aggressive and hunt it if I feel that confident on it, you know. So you're sitting in that tree and you see a good buck traveling a hundred yards away, like on that creek crossing yeah. and he doesn't come down your way. Yep. What's your mind telling you to do? Uh, it, it, you know, random buck across the creek. Yep. I'm, I'm going to sit there. I'm like, all right, I'm going to take note of it. And now, you know, later in the day, a different buck does it. And if I start even seeing different age class bucks do it, I see a couple of does doing something like I, I start seeing a pattern. Um, and that could be with half a day or a whole day or two days. It, you know, it might take me, it may happen quick in my mind or it might not. But when I see that gut feelings like, you're in the wrong spot. Something's good. I'm not, I didn't see something scouting. Now I'm seeing as I'm in a tree. Now I'm going to make a move. So do you have spots that you've hunted throughout the years that, you know, produce good bucks every year where you can go in there and chase and you see those, do you ever see those patterns change in that system? Like they're traveling differently or does it mainly stay the same during the run? It, 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 it just depends. A lot of it comes on hunt pressure and also depending on where you're at, the logging operations, if you get a lot of clear cuts, a lot of logging operations, certain these big woods areas that could change some stuff either for the good or negative for temporarily till things move back out maybe or some things change uh some of these cuts too will mature after a while that can change some stuff um i'm not a big food guy 
per se. Um, but the oaks, of course, have a big influence in the big woods. Um, that can change up a lot of stuff too. Uh, really poor acorn, acorn crop, you know, in that general area. Them deer can shift out there and be over a couple hundred yards in another system or something or another ridge top that has the food. Um, so that all plays in. But I would say on average, um, they're pretty consistent year to year. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And it's hit and miss with me because of the different tactics that yeah. we have. You know, yeah. like I can get to some yep. of these hubs and it just seems really food-based where I'm at, but I don't yep. have the same amount of clear cuts. So yeah. I wonder if it's like the clear cuts holding these deer in more often. Yeah, I, I think the clear cuts, are, it's just basically a big food plot. Depending on their age, they're just a big food plot. And, you know, a lot of the cuts have oaks in them, how they've cut them. You, you know what I mean? So they're just a massive food source, but you've seen some of the sizes of them. For me to pattern something on a food source in the big woods where I'm at, man, that's tough. That's why I really rely on movement during the rut to kill. Yeah, that makes sense. What I'd like to get into now is something that I think that you're great at. And that's one of the things that I really look up to you for is like your your mental ability to just grind it out yeah. in these rut situations. And that's something I don't think that a lot of people have. And it's something that you could probably work on. Yeah. But I'd just like to cover like the kind of things that are going through your head. You know, you get a new, not, a, not necessarily a funk, but you've been in a spot for two or three days. You haven't seen anything. You know, how do you continue to keep that confidence and just press on? Uh, that comes down to experience. You know, spending how many hours, countless thousands of hours in a tree, you know, years, it's been really, really tough. And then you, you tag one, you know, you know, it can happen any minute when they say it can happen any second, especially when it can happen any second. Um, this past year was a rough year for a lot of us. I think we all know the hot yep. weather stuff. Um, but even during the hot weather, I've killed a lot of bucks in warm weather. So I was still pretty confident. And at the end of the day, if you don't kill, the world doesn't end. You got to remember that too. You know what I mean? But you know, a lot of it comes down to confidence. I tell people, this may be a little harsh, but uh, to become a killer, you got to kill. And that gives you confidence. You know, I hate to say that, but it, but it's true. Um, and that's when you're in these situations, tough situations, the weather, whatever, curveball, somebody walking in on you. You go through enough of those, you realize, you know, it's going to be okay. You just got to keep grinding out. It just mentally wise where I'm at. I don't usually let stuff bother me. I get people being hunting public land, walk on me and everything. I see all kinds of stuff. You know, a lot of times I'll just stay put and I've many times I've stayed put in situations I've killed later in the day, you know, and, and that's just experience being in them situations where it's 75 degrees in a rut, man, this sucks. I'm going to go home, but I've killed a midday at 75 degrees. I don't like to do it, but that's just all part of, of doing it for so long and building that confidence up. And I said, you, you've killed enough, you experienced enough to where when you're in them situations, it really doesn't phase you. You just keep on grinding. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. That's perfect. Uh, one last question for you. And it's, I look up to you as a rut hunter. I think that you're one of the best out there. I think that you have a lot of things that you do that are very particular and detailed and everybody can learn from that. So the last question is in Ryan Glitzky's eyes, what makes a great rut hunter? Uh, I think what we just talked about is probably the grind, the determination, uh, you're going to, like, like you hear a lot of people that, you know, they they were successful in a handful of days. You know, I love to do that. Just in my situation, it doesn't work that way. And in the rut, you got prepared to really, it, it may take 10, 12, 14, 15 days. It may take one day, but mentally wise, a good run hunter is going to be mentally just focused and mentally tough. You got to trust your process. Like we said, we love the process. We love it for a reason. It's that end goal after doing all that. And you got to be mentally tough to get there. You know, you're going to have your good days. You're going to have your bad days. Just, just, you know, stick to it and be mentally tough. That for me, a, a good run hunter is usually somebody that's just mentally just, they're, they're going to do it, everything they need to do to get it done. And the mental toughness thing goes so far beyond just a hunt. Yes. And that's what I see with you. I see you out there 
every Saturday mm-hmm. all year, yeah. grinding out scouting yeah, and trying yeah. to find these Love spots, it, man. right? It's the process, man. It's that's why I said. We, I think I don't know, we're getting old or what. I mean, you're still a young pup, but <laughs> me, me getting old. It's like I mean, I tell guys, yeah, the end game is to walk up on a mature buck or whatever makes you happy, man. That's the that's the top of the mountain, but man, anymore, man, it's the process. I, I, I mean, it's the it's the postseed scouting. It's putting the trail cameras out, checking the SD cards. You know, it's the hunt itself. It just it's the whole thing leading up to that final moment. He steps out in front of you. It just. Man, I just live for that. Like the scout, and I, I can't wait till Saturday's getting woods. Oh, yeah. I, I love it, man. It, it's just that's that's what I live for right now. I do too. I feel the exact same way. I definitely enjoy scouting far more than yeah. hunting. Yes. And uh, you know, I can look at this year, for example. I spent seventy days in the woods chasing a deer. Yep. I probably had another hundred and fifty days scouting. But <laughs> yeah. I remember sitting up on the ridge, and it was fifteen degrees outside. Yeah. Sun sunrise looked beautiful that morning and it was my last day in the woods and i just thought you know what I didn't, i'm not going to kill this year chances are it's not going to happen but what an awesome year what yeah, a great adventure and, and people got to realize like hey a lot of us had tough years i it's first year in a long time i didn't kill but i'm okay with that first you know not gonna lie we're human it's a bad taste in your mouth oh, you yeah. want to come back next year bigger and better yep. you know what i mean you don't get me wrong but <laughs> and the day it's just a deer you know we get tied up in the social media stuff a little bit too much and that but go out and enjoy the hunt because man we're you, you see how the world is nowadays it's pretty rough out there so when you got your time in the woods enjoy it kill or no kill man enjoy it i i love that i couldn't agree more well ryan it's been an absolutely awesome day i've learned a ton from you thank you for letting us go out and film yep. you and yeah, do awesome, this, doing this podcast yeah and, this is a good time this is a, this is a really fun this is, i had a good time today appreciate you guys letting me do this with you yeah thanks we'll have to do it again yeah, soon definitely everybody definitely. this uh all of this stuff's going to be over on the latitude youtube eventually we're going to put all of this content together all these videos together with example maps with some more overlays with ryan's voice and we're just going to try to really paint the picture so you can see what he's doing on a in a high level and hopefully that'll help your rut hunting tactics a little bit. So Ryan, thanks again. I appreciate Thank it. Thank you man. guys. All right. That's a wrap for today's show. Thank you guys for listening. If you could please head over to iTunes and leave a five-star rating and a written review. The Ryan Glitzky in session will be launching Friday at 5 PM over on the Latitude Outdoors YouTube. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment. When you go out there and the fish are where you think they are, any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.